0: Well, let's continue our, our worship by turning to God's Word. And John 15 is uh, our text for this morning. And if you weren't here last Sunday, uh, I would uh, strongly encourage you to go online and uh, listen to that sermon from last Sunday, and, or maybe grab a, a CD if that's what you prefer from our resource center this morning. Because uh, what we're going to talk about this morning is really built on the foundation. Uh, that we laid last Sunday, and so you really, um, I don't think, will feel like you uh, are getting all that you could out of this text if all you heard was what we're going to say today. And uh, we took a lot of time uh, last week just really kind of laying the groundwork for uh, accurately understanding and, and applying this, this very significant text uh, in, in John's Gospel. This is one of the most important passages uh, for us as Christians to understand and apply. And, and what we did last week was um, apply one of the basic uh, methods of Bible study and interpretation, and that is what's called the analogy of Scripture, where you let Scripture interpret Scripture. Uh, sometimes you come to a text of Scripture that uh, isn't as clear as you maybe would like it to be, and, and uh, there's maybe a, a, f- a couple ways you could interpret it, and you're not quite sure which way to go. Uh, It's always uh, helpful to go to other passages uh, throughout the Bible uh, that are much clearer. And and then once you do that and you go back to this particular passage that's not as clear, oftentimes that that passage clears up for you uh, in in your mind in light of what the rest of the Scripture teaches. Um, The simple term for that is cross-referencing. Uh, and uh, I know you're familiar with that as, as good Bible students, right? You know what cross-referencing is all about. Look at other verses that basically say the same thing uh, somewhere else in Scripture. So we did that last week, and it really, I think, helped us uh, understand where Jesus was going with this passage. And so, again, all that to say, please, if you weren't here last week, make sure you go and listen to that message. I think it will be helpful for you um, in light of what we're going to say today. So let me reread the text, John 15. Verses 1 through 11, Jesus here in the upper room says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Father, we come before you again this morning and ask that your Spirit would now illuminate our minds uh, to understand what Jesus meant by what he said here, and uh, Lord, that we'd also uh, see how this relates to our lives today as we seek to understand this passage in its context, Lord. We also want to know how to live it out in our context, and so, Lord, would you accomplish that by your spirit this morning, and Lord, just convict those of us who need to be convicted today, Lord, uh, just, um, just affirm and comfort those who need to be comforted today. And and most of all, Lord, we we desire to be conformed more to the image of Christ. And so we pray you'd accomplish that as well as we spend time in your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this uh, last week I had the privilege of spending time with uh, someone talking about... Uh, how this particular book has been really uh, making a huge impact in their relationship with Christ. This is a book I mentioned this last summer, uh, called "The Hole in Our Holiness: finding the, Filling the Gap Between Gospel Passion and the Pursuit of Godliness." Is by Kevin DeYoung, and uh, as he was uh, reading to me certain uh, sections that he'd underlined and highlighted uh, over our breakfast uh, on uh, Tuesday, uh, I noticed uh, as he was thumbing through the the book, uh, that chapter 9, the title is Abide and Obey. And I was like, well, I'm so glad uh, you showed me that because I forgot that 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 chapter was in this book. And I need to reread this chapter in light of what we're studying in John chapter 15 about abiding in Christ. And uh, I think what we're going to see just kind of by way of introduction here is that a, a, a synonymous term with abide is the word Obey. Or as this guy I was talking to said, the O word, right? The O word. It's obey, right? Sometimes as Christians, we don't like that word. We don't like to relate to Christ based on the O word. And yet we're finding, as Jesus is talking to disciples, that's pretty much how it is, right? That that we're going to find out that ultimately abiding in Christ, with Christ, uh, really is another way of talking about obeying Christ. And so this chapter is very helpful, and and let me just summarize it very quickly, uh, Just again, just to get our our minds directed towards this subject. I I appreciate Kevin DeYoung in in making a very clear distinction between justification and sanctification and not allowing those things to blur together like we mentioned this summer. And so he he says in this chapter that uh, we need to remember that our unchanging union with Christ leads to an ever-increasing communion with Christ. In other words, there's, there's a union with Christ, and there's communion with Christ. And you say, well, that sounds like the same exact thing. Well, not necessarily, because when you talk about union with Christ, you're talking about what happens the moment we're justified, and communion with Christ is talking about our sanctification. And so he says this, union with Christ is the irrevocable work of the Spirit, Once united, nothing can separate us from Christ. Nothing can make us a little more or a little less united. Union with Christ is unalterable. In other words, if you're a Christian, uh, there is nothing you can do, right, that will make you more united with Christ or less united with Christ because you have been united with Christ through salvation. However, he says, communion with Christ is can be affected by sin and unresponsiveness to God's grace. It's like marriage, and this is a great example. You can't be more or less married, but you can have a stronger or weaker marriage. Being married is the union, right? And, and the, the, the health of your marriage or the communication, maybe, level of your marriage, that's the, that's the communion, uh, so some of you have been uh, married for many years. We have one couple here who's been married 50 years, right? And, and, and it doesn't matter what happens within your marriage, right? Uh, you are never um, more or less united with one another than, than, than when you were the very first day when you said, I do, right? But throughout the course of your marriage, there's times when the communion that you enjoy with one another ebbs and flows. Is it not true? And so that's what he's talking about, is that there's these two elements of our relationship with Christ. There's our union with Christ, which is talking about our justification. That never changes, but then we have this idea of sanctification and communion with Christ, which could be changing all the time. He goes on, he says this, he says, when, when I speak of communion with Christ, I mean strengthening our relationship with Him. As our communion deepens, we enjoy sweeter fellowship and interchange with Him. We grow in knowledge of Him and affection for Him, and we experience more richly His love and affection for us. And most crucially, as we deepen our commitment with Christ, seeing and savoring His grace more and more each day, we also obey Christ more fully and more freely. He says the Bible allows for no division between communion with Christ and obedience to Christ. He says walking with Christ and enjoying communion with Him involves walking as Christ did and keeping His commandments. He says if union with Christ means it is our privilege and responsibility to pursue communion with Christ, what do we actually do to enrich and enjoy this communion? And so he gets down to just really the practical matter of, of what is, how do we maintain our communion with Christ. Uh, in other words, what does it mean to abide with Christ? And he says this, part of the answer is nothing, <laughs> okay? <laughs> we can't do anything, he says. But God does a lot of things to us, with us, through us. Our feelings go up and down, our sense of closeness fluctuates, but God is always there. He has a way of sanctifying us apart from our conscious effort. He quietly brings events and conditions into our lives that humble us, purify us, and draw us to Christ. Quite often, God uses suffering to smooth out our rough edges and break down our streak of independence. We talked about that last week, is the pruning process, right? Sometimes it's very painful, but it's part of the sanctification of every believer is to be pruned by God himself. He says, we may not be aware of any particular patterns that have led us to Christ, but over the years we may find that indeed our love for Jesus is stronger, our relationship with him is firmer, and our sense of his presence is stronger. Even in the dark times and dry seasons, we will find that God has been working all along. And so we realize that God is always working in our lives, and sometimes we don't even realize how, specifically. Um, and so he says, in part, when you want to know, if you want to know um, how to pursue communion with Christ, well, part of it is the answer is nothing, <laughs> because he's, he's doing it. However, the other part of the answer must be something, true, true. Christ works, often imperceptibly, without any knowing participation on our part to draw us closer to himself, but we also have a role to play, just as in any relationship. There are practices that we must develop and work hard at if we are to grow in our communion with Christ." Again, this is a reminder of Philippians two. Work out your salvation, i.e., sanctification, with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. It's, it's it, when it comes to sanctification, right, our growth and maturity in Christ. It's synergistic, right? God and us partner together in that. Um, and so He gives some specific ways that we can uh, grow in our communion with Christ here. And uh, he he concludes the chapter, he says, if you want communion with Christ, you need to do it on his terms with the channels of grace he's provided. And you're like, hey, why didn't you read that part where he talks about those things? That's what I want, that's what I care about. I want to know practically what I want to, what do I need to do to maintain communion with Christ? What does it mean to abide in Christ? Tell me that. Why did you skip that? Well, because that's what we're going to study in this passage today, okay? And we're basically going to say what he says, right? Because his chapter is all about John 15 and practical ways that you can abide in Christ. And so let's look again at this passage. If you remember, uh, we basically said that here uh, in this passage, um, uh, we see uh, Jesus explaining what it means to abide in him and how we know if we are abiding in him. And uh, we, we said that uh, basically, just for the sake of an outline here, we were saying that we're looking here at seven fruits of abiding in Christ, seven fruits of abiding uh, 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 in Christ. And, and we said, uh, you look at this passage and it seems like fruits mentioned all over the place, fruit, 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 and we've got to understand what that fruitfulness uh, is all about. And, and, and by the way... Um, you know, we know he's not talking about apples and oranges, right, and, and, uh, and, and all sorts of the fruit that we think of in the, in the fruit basket on our counter at home or in the fruit drawer in our refrigerator. That's not what he's talking about, fruit. He's talking about evidences, um, things that are growing in our lives, what is our life producing, right? Um, the, the actions, the attitudes, the words, right, the thoughts, uh, that's the fruit, um, that he's describing here. Um, and, and so he's really talking about um, that uh, if, if you're a believer, right, you will be producing, God will be producing some type of fruit in you. And just, just uh, off the top of my head, let me just throw out some fruits that I think, based on what the scripture teaches, should be evident in the life of every believer. For example, you love Jesus. That's a basic Attitude, right? Commitment. You love Christ. Uh, how can you say you're a Christian if you don't love Christ? Uh, how about this? You you have a, a hunger and thirst for the Word of God, right? That's that's the fruit of a believer. You have a hunger and thirst for the Word of God. You want to know the Scriptures so that you can live the Scriptures. Uh, that's another thing that comes to my mind is that you you have a desire to obey. You, you truly want to obey and honor the Lord. Now, I didn't say you obey perfectly, right, because none of us do or ever will on this planet, um, but, but at least that's your desire. And so when you disobey, you hate it. It frustrates you, and you, and you seek forgiveness um, from the Lord and from someone you may have sinned against, and then you take steps to make sure that that doesn't happen again. Um, uh, how about this? There's, there's also a, a maybe a, a burden uh, for the lost, Right? You're you're truly burdened for lost people who don't know Christ and you, you long for them to come to know Christ. That's just a, a natural fruit of being a Christian, someone who's who's become a new creature in Christ. How about this? That you actually love other Christians. That's an evidence that you're a believer, right? That if you had your choice of hanging out, right, on a Sunday morning, uh, uh, doing something, would you rather uh, be uh, in church with your brothers and sisters in Christ, or out on the golf course, or out on the boat with you know your unsaved friends, or at the mall with your, unfriend, friend, you know, your unsaved girlfriends? Right? Why? The point is, you have way more in common, right, with Christians than you do non Christians. Right? Those are just some evidences, some fruits. Uh, that's the kind of uh, thing you should be thinking about when he's talking about fruit. However, this passage uh, is not ultimately about fruit. It's about how that fruit is produced in us, and that is by what? Abiding in Christ. And so really, this passage is really all about uh, abiding in Christ is the key to living a fruitful or, or, or a productive life. And so there's a, there's a direct connection here between abiding in him and bearing fruit. And so we're talking about seven fruits of abiding in Christ. And, and some of these fruits, as you'll notice as we go through these, are, they're not just the fruit of abiding in Christ. In some way, they're the means to abiding in Christ. And sometimes they, you know, it's almost like they blend together, they blur together, and you're like, man, is this, is this a evidence that I'm abiding in Christ? Or is this a means to abiding in Christ? And the answer is yes, it's both. And so we looked last week, um, just to begin, at the first fruit, which was we are consistently convicted by Christ's word. That was the first fruit of abiding in Christ. We are consistently convicted. Convicted or corrected by Christ's word. And we looked at verses one through three that say that Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And so we talked about how uh, we are uh, branches uh, connected to the vine who is Christ. And God is the vine dresser. He's the gardener who comes through the garden and, and, and the, through the vineyard, and he's pruning us, right, and, uh, so that we become more fruitful. And those who are evidencing no fruit, what happens? They get cut off and they get thrown in a burn pile. Verse 6, right, we said, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned, And uh, you can say all you want about the different ways to interpret this passage, but if you compare that verse, verse 6, with all the other times in the Gospels when Jesus mentions anything about a burn pile, it's always talking about hell. And so it seems very natural that that would be the, 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 the normal, natural way to understand what he's talking about. But ultimately, how the Lord Convicts us and corrects us with his uh, w- w- uh, in our lives is through his word, and so we talked about how the word accomplishes its, its work. in those of us who believe, um, he he talks about sanctifying us through his truth. His word is truth. The word of God is sharper than any, any living and active and sharper than any two edged sword. That's kind of his little pruning tool, right? That he uses even to get down to the to the nitty gritties in our hearts, even down to the motives why we do what we do. Hebrews four twelve, and so. In order for the word to do its work, however, we need to abide in Christ. And so that's where we left off last week. And I said, come back to find out what it means to to actually abide in Christ. So we're going to move to our second fruit of abiding in Christ. And that is that we are consistently connected to Christ's power. We're, We're consistently connected to Christ's power. And here we come to the heart of this passage. Verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If you don't have that last phrase of verse 5 underlined or starred or circled or bracketed in your Bible, this would be a good time to do that. Because that is a profound principle for the Christian life. Now, obviously the word abide here is used over and over and over again, 10 times in these 11 verses. Um, uh, Somebody mentioned last week, and I really appreciate this, they came up and said, hey, I hope you really uh, take some time to explain to us what it means to abide, because that's not a word that we typically use in our vocabulary today. We don't go around talking about abiding in this and abiding in that. Um, it's more of an old-fashioned word, maybe. And so I do want to make sure that that, that uh, we, we clearly understand what did Jesus mean when he said abide. That word uh, means to remain, to continue, to stay, to follow, or to obey. To obey. All of those are synonyms, I think, for the word a- abide. And so what Jesus meant here... When he said abide in me, he 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 was talking about maintaining an intimate relationship with him, staying vitally connected to him. Again, the imagery is a branch with a vine. How does a branch abide in the vine? It stays what? Connected to the vine. And as we stay in constant communion with Christ, We're supplied with the strength and the power that we need to live fruitful and productive lives. And so you say, okay, that's great. That sounds wonderful. I'm supposed to abide in Christ. I'm supposed to remain in Christ. I'm supposed to continue in Christ and stay in Christ and follow Christ and obey Christ. What does that really mean practically, though? Make that that practical for my everyday Christian life. Well, I think this is where... This um, concept of abiding in Christ is often explained in ways that are mystical um, and and just frankly not very helpful. Um, uh, You know, for example, just, uh, you know, abiding in Christ has been described by some. You know, over the years, as just uh, almost like laying in a in a in a grassy field, looking up into the heavens, right? And you're, you're just almost to let go and let God, right? We're just abiding in Christ, and we're just remembering our union with Christ, um, as if that's all that really matters is is that we're one with Christ, and Christ is in us, and and so we just um, reflect on that and and wallow in that the, the the glory of our union with Christ, and it's just this kind of this effortless resting and relying on. On our union with Christ. And again, if you were here this summer, we talked about that, that again, there's, there is an element of the gospel, right, where we need to relish that and remember that and, and, just, and just rest in that. But that doesn't mean that's all we do, right? It doesn't stop there. It moves into from the union, right, that never changes with Christ to our communion with Christ that is ever-changing, and oftentimes it's dependent on what we're doing or not doing to stay connected to Christ. And so, if a body in Christ means staying connected to Christ, then the real question is how, to st- how do we stay connected to Christ? How do we maintain a close relationship with Christ? You tell me, you know how to stay connected to Christ, you know how to maintain a close relationship with Christ. Where does it begin? right here, right? You stay connected to the Word. You read His Word. You study His Word. And then when you're done studying and reading His Word, what do you do? You talk to Him. You talk to Christ through prayer. And then when you're done reading the Word and studying the Word and praying the Word, and and then hopefully you're coming to church where you're being a part of his body Christ's body how do you, you want to stay connected to Christ you want to abide in Christ a big part of abiding with Christ is being a part of a local church like this where you're coming and you're being around God's people and, and, and you're hanging around other Christians and, and, and other branches, if you will, right? You're fellowshipping with, with God's people, with Christ's people, with his church. Uh, you're part of the body of Christ, right? You're connected to the body. You're a hand. You're an ear. You're an eye. You're a toe, whatever. Um, you're, you're connected to the body. How about telling others about Christ? That's another way to abide in Christ, some would actually translate, or, or I, say, uh, I should say interpret the fruit here uh, as primarily converts, people that you lead to Christ. Um, I, I don't think that's uh, you know, the, the main meaning of fruit here. It's like, hey, where's all your fruit? We want to see all the converts, all the people that you're leading to Christ. No, that may be one part of fruit, right, that God is using you to lead others to Christ, Um, That's good evidence that you're abiding in Christ, but telling others about Christ is another way to stay connected with Christ and and maintain a close relationship with Christ. Why? Because I'm telling you, it's going to be really hard for someone to pull you away from Christ when you're trying to pull them to Christ. So if you're sitting there sharing the gospel with them and and witnessing to them and and appealing to them to get saved, right, you're probably not going to be tempted to be doing the things that they're doing, right? Right? But if you're just kind of hanging out with them and going along with them and, and you're not Christ isn't a part of that conversation or that relationship with an unbeliever, there's it's likely that they can start pulling you away from Christ. But as long as you're making Christ the focus all the time, you're bringing it up, you're sharing the gospel, right, in appropriate ways, uh, then, then that's the way to abide in Christ. So you know, you know what happens, right, when you stop spending time in God's Word or you stop praying. Uh, Or you maybe miss a Sunday, and then you miss two Sundays, and then next thing you know, a month has gone by, and you haven't been to church, and then next thing you know, you wake up and you haven't been to church for six months, and then it's just weird. It's just awkward. Like, I can't go back now, because then, like, what am I going to say? They'll be like, hey, where have you been? You're like, uh, uh, nothing. Um... (laughs) Like, what are you going to say? I mean, you feel awkward, and then, so you, then it takes another six months for you to get up the guts to actually come and face the music, right? And, and so unfortunately, that's what happens. And, and that whole time when you're, 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 you're slacking off maybe in, in your time with God's Word, and, and you're maybe not spending as much time in prayer, and then you're not being as consistent and regular in your attendance at church, you're losing, slowly you're losing touch with Christ, aren't you? And, and, and you're often not as productive and fruitful either. It's like the, like the fruit begins to... There's not as much fruit. There's not as much productivity in your life. And so when we become disconnected from the vine, it's impossible to bear fruit. Why? Because apart from Christ, we can do what? Nothing. We can do absolutely nothing apart from Christ. Do you believe that? I mean, really believe that. I say I believe that, but then why do I jump up and, 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 and rush through my morning and head out the door to go do ministry, having never once spent time in the Word or prayer, saying, Lord, I, I, apart from you, I can do nothing. And, and I'm just going to be spinning my wheels all day Right? doing nothing without unless I stay connected to you. Lord, I, I need you today. Right? And then sometimes we, we say, oh yeah, I believe that apart from Christ I can do nothing. But well, you're not acknowledging that. Right? You're not acknowledging that dependence on the Lord by spending time. I need you today. I need something from your word. Help me. Uh, Lord, I'm coming to you and I'm saying, Lord, would you help me today right through prayer? See, the point is a, a branch can't produce fruit on its own. Right you, you can't a, a branch does not produce fruit on its own that's the vine's job right the branch is just simply there right to be a place where that fruit is produced right and the key for that branch producing the fruit is he has to remain in the vine and it's the vine that's that's simply reproducing its life in the life of the branch and i think that's the beauty of this imagery here this vine and the branch analogy is that's what's happening with us in Christ? That Christ is simply reproducing His life into us, and so fruitfulness ultimately. You want know to you know what fruitfulness looks like? Jesus. It's Christ's likeness. You, you could. That's another synonymous term: fruitfulness and Christ likeness. So what we're talking about here is that Christ is reproducing His life in us in order to, for us to become more like Christ. And in order to become more like Christ, you've got to stay in constant communion with Christ. You're not going to be more like Christ unless you are spending time with Him, right? And that's the key to living an abundant, fruitful, effective, joy-filled Christian life is, is maintaining constant communion with Christ, staying consistently connected to Christ's power. Sometimes... I find myself praying, and you probably pray this prayer too, Lord, help me to live for you today. Have you ever prayed that? Lord, Lord, just help me to live for you today. I mean, that's a, that's a great prayer, isn't it? We, we should be praying that. Lord, help me to live for you today. But how much better would it be to pray, Lord, would you live through me today? Would you live through me today? Instead of asking the Lord to help you live for him, right? Lord, would you live through me today? I think that's what... Paul was getting at in Galatians 2.20 when he said, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I'm so thankful that our student ministry's, um, uh, I guess, um, title or um, name is, is 2.20, You say, what is 2.20? Well, it's based on Galatians 2.20. And if you look closely at some of the logos that they use and the kids wear maybe around, uh, there's there's a little tagline that says, no longer I. I love that. That's what he's saying. It is no longer I who live. Again, this is the Christian life here, right? It is staying so connected to Christ that it's ultimately Him living through us. And so... Hopefully that helps you understand what it means to abide in Christ, and there's more to come here as we consider a a third fruit or evidence of abiding with Christ. Number three, we're consistently committed to Christ's will. We're consistently committed to Christ's will. Again, we're jumping over verse six because we already talked about it last week, but look at verse seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, this is one of those verses that people love to take out of context and go, woo-hoo, look at that. Whatever I pray for, I'm going to get. And God can be like a little genie in a bottle to me, and I just kind of rub it just the right way and pop, there goes my whatever wish, right? Whatever I want, he'll provide for me. Well, that's not at all the context of what Jesus was saying. He's basically saying, listen, I am going to provide for you whatever you need to fulfill the mission that I'm entrusting to you. All you have to do is ask. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus has already made a similar promise to them in chapter 14. Notice back in chapter 14, verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And so it's not enough just to say, hey, I want this, right? You need to be praying in his name, in the name of Jesus, which means asking what he would ask for. Um, John later repeated this promise of Jesus in his first epistle, 1 John 5, 14, this is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know we have the request which we've asked from him. So not only are we put to pray in Jesus' name, we're supposed to pray according to his will, God's will. And here in John 15, We have a third qualification, right? It's not enough to pray in the name of Jesus. It's not enough to pray according to God's will, but you need to also be abiding in him and his words need to be be abiding in you. In other words, you're living a life of obedience, right? Um, The Lord will not regard uh, or not hear our prayers if we have iniquity in our hearts, right? That's what he says. It's not that he doesn't hear our prayers. He's not going to answer our prayers if we have sin in our hearts. And so the point is this, okay, how does this all come together, okay? The more we abide in Christ, the more His will becomes our will, right? Because we're talking about abiding in Christ is, is really, we're talking about becoming more and more like Christ, and that doesn't mean just in our actions and our attitudes, it also means in our will, that we start wanting what He wants rather than what we want. And so as you spend more time with Christ, abiding with Christ and abiding in his word, right, his will becomes your will in the same way his actions become your actions, his thoughts become your thoughts, right? And, and so the more you pray, the more consistently you'll, you'll be asking for what he wants rather than what, for you, what, than what you want. And, and when that's the case, he's obviously going to answer those requests. Because when you're only asking for what He would ask, and only asking for things that you know would please Him, you know you're going to get answered that prayer. And so we're consistently committed to Christ's will. That's a fruit of being, or of abiding in Christ. Well, there's more. Number four, another fruit here of of abiding in Christ is that we're consistently confirmed as Christ's followers. We're consistently confirmed as Christ's followers. Verse 8, my Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. You will know them by their what? Fruits. That's what Jesus said. You'll know who's who by their fruits. And again, notice the progression. I mentioned this last week. Verse 2, he talks about bearing fruit. Um, Verse 5, he talks about much fruit. And then here in verse 8, again, he, he, he emphasizes much fruit. It goes from fruit to more fruit to much fruit. And this should be the pattern of our lives. We just be, should be becoming more and more fruitful the longer we walk with the Lord, the more we abide with Christ. And so what Jesus is saying here is it brings God great glory. My Father is glorified by this. What? When our lives grow and flourish and we produce a whole bunch of fruit. And the more we exhibit the character and the conduct of his son, because that's what we're talking about, the fruit that's being produced, Christ is reproducing his life in us as the branch, right? And what's popping out in us in our lives is the character and conduct of Christ. And the more that we exhibit the character and conduct of his son to a lost and dying world, right, the more God gets glory from us and the glory that he deserves. And so as we abide in Christ, he produces fruit in our lives, which which again is evidence that we are true followers of Christ. So we're consistently confirmed as Christ's followers, as as the Spirit of God and in the word of God, accomplish the the fruit-making process, the conforming to Christ process in our lives. Number five, we're consistently compelled by Christ's love. This is another fruit of abiding in Christ. How do you know you're abiding in Christ? Well, you're consistently compelled by Christ's love. Notice verse nine. Just as the Father has loved me, I also loved you. And that's one of those statements where you just got to shut your Bibles and say, let's close in prayer. Because how do you exposit that? How do you explain that? That the Father, right, that Jesus loves us like the Father loves him? How much does the Father love the Son? Yeah, like beyond our comprehension, right? Infinite, an infinite amount of love. So how much does Jesus love us? The same way, it's an infinite love that we cannot even begin to comprehend. That's why Paul, when he was uh, writing to the Ephesians, he prayed that they would be able to uh, be rooted and grounded in love and would be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. In other words, he was praying that they would comprehend the incomprehensible, That you would comprehend how much God loves you in Christ. So when you begin to think about that and meditate on that statement that just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you, and that should just blow your mind. That should be something like, what else are you going to think about? I mean, there's no greater thought in the universe, right, that could possibly fill your mind during the day than that. Now, I know you've got to go to work and you've got to do some other things with your mind during the, 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 the day and during the week. You just sit around and you know, lay in bed and think about the love of Christ for you. But, but I mean, what, what, more, what should captivate your thought more than that? You should be captivated by this glorious thought and, and not just captivated by it, but it should compel you to live a certain way. And, and that's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. And when I used to read that years ago, I used to think that what Paul was saying there is that, that man, I just love Jesus so much that it just kind of motivates me, right, in, in my ministry. Because it's in the 2 Corinthians 5, talking about his ministry and so on. And I just love Jesus so much. It just, man, it just, it just motivates me. It just drives me. My love for Christ is what drives me. That's not what he's saying at all. For the love of Christ controls us. It's not so much our love for Christ as it's his love for us. I think that's what Paul was saying is that Christ's love for me controls me. How do I know that? Well, notice the next phrase, having concluded this that one died for all, therefore all died, and he who died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. In other words, Paul doesn't say, for the love of Christ controls us, and then he talks about his love for Christ. No, he talks about Christ's love for him. And the ultimate demonstration of Christ's love for us was that he died on the cross. He gave himself up for us. And he said, "That that just controls everything I do. That doesn't just doesn't just captivate me. I mean, it consumes me. It, it, it controls me. It drives me. It motivates me. And listen, this is this is where this becomes so um, freeing, I guess. Is that the Christian life is not so much about how much we love Jesus it's how much He loves us. I mean, that's just a refreshing thought for me personally. I mean, it, it really, what, what we're talking about here is, 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 you know, I think sometimes we like, you know, I, I obey Jesus because I love him so much. Instead of saying, I obey Jesus because he loves me so much. There's a big difference in that, isn't it? And so instead of, you know, you mess up and you sin and you're like, oh, man, I did it again. And, and you're like, man, I just don't love Jesus the way I need to and try to motivate yourself to love the Lord more, uh, why not think, man, how could I have sinned against such great love? And that's what should motivate you not to want to sin again, right? I just gotta love Jesus more. No, it's that he loves you so much. And so again, he says here, abide in my love. He says, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. So here again is is a, is there's an evidence here that you're abiding in Christ when you're captivated, you're 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 compelled by Christ's love here. But at the same time, that's part of abiding in Christ, right? Is that you're just captivated, you're 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 meditating on, you're, you're consumed by His love for you. Number six, another fruit here of abiding in Christ is that we're consistently conformed to Christ's commands. We're consistently conformed to Christ's commands, i.e., we obey. We obey. And notice he says, uh, "I have, uh, just as the fathers loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. You say, okay, what does that mean? Again, does that mean just lay out in the field and look up into the heavens and just think about how much Jesus loves you? Right? Uh, I think that's part of it. To be remembering the the, the awesome love that God has for us. But then notice how practical Jesus makes it in verse 10. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. How do you abide in the love of Christ? It's not just thinking about the gospel. It's about obeying the gospel. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. How did Jesus abide in his father's love? By obeying him. And I think what Jesus is saying is that, that, that he perfectly obeyed his Father's commandments, and as a result, he constantly enjoyed his Father's love. There was, there, was, there, was, there was unbroken fellowship with his Father. As long as he obeyed, right, as long as he honored his Father, there was, there was nothing ever came between them. The only time something came between the Father and the Son was what? The cross. When, when, when Jesus became sin for us right? That's when his fellowship with the Father was broken for that moment in time, and rather than enjoying God's love, he experienced God's wrath. You know what this is like. Um, In your relationship with the Lord, right? When you when you obey the Father, right, there's just this unbroken fellowship with Him and it's just, you know, your relationship is, with the Lord is blissful. It's a, it's, it's a blessing. It's, it, it, you feel close. You feel intimate. But as soon as there's sin, right, what happens? There, there's a broken fellowship. You're no longer abiding, right? When you're disobeying, you're no longer abiding with Christ. And so there's a separation. There's a disconnect between you and the Lord. And, and if you... If you can't relate to that, think about your kids, right? When, when, when maybe there's some sin involved in, in maybe one of your kids' life, and, and you feel like there's broken communication, there's a broken relationship, there's a disconnect in your relationship with one of your kids, well, why is that? Because there's some sin going on, there's some disobedience going on, and so obviously there's going to be a disconnect. And when that happens between you and one of your kids, right, the first thing you should think about is, oh, this is what it feels like. This is what it feels like for God when I sin, right? You, you long to have fellowship with your kid. You long to uh, be intimate with your kid, but there's no intimacy. Why? Because there's sin. And, and it breaks your heart, and it breaks the heart of God, right, when we sin, And so again, abiding in my love here is not some emotional, mystical experience. It's simply living a life of obedience that's motivated by his great love for us. Again, Jesus has kind of been setting a pattern here. It's kind of st- sounding like a, 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 a broken record, if you will. In, in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and he will come to him and make our abode with him. And so we need to consistently be conformed to Christ's commands. That's how we abide in Christ. That's evidence, right, that you're living a life of obedience. And then lastly here, number seven, the last fruit here of of abiding with Christ Is that we're consistently consumed with Christ's joy? We're consistently consumed with Christ's joy. I love verse eleven. It says, "These things I've spoken to you, so that you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full." In other words, Jesus wanted his disciples to have the same joy that he had. You got Jesus' joy? (laughs) You got Jesus' joy in your life? Uh, at this point, I think these guys were really struggling to be joyful. They just found out that their Lord and Savior, right, was going to leave them. And they didn't know where he was going and they couldn't come with him. And, and they were really struggling. They were probably sad and, and, and scared and all those things we were talking about. And he's been encouraging them and get, making promises to them and reaffirming them and reassuring them. And, and, and so he's saying, listen, I'm telling you all this stuff so that, you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. I want you to be as happy as I am. You say, what made Jesus happy? What made Jesus so joyful? It brought Jesus great joy to commune with his Father, to serve and obey his Father, to please his Father. Nothing made Jesus happier than to make his Father happy. And when we abide with Christ and we commune with Christ, and we serve and obey Christ, and we seek to please Christ, guess what? Our lives will be filled with the same joy. When, it, when our heart is that, that, that nothing makes us happier than to make you happy, Jesus, right? I mean, that's, that's the, the pinnacle of joy. And if we lack joy in, in our life, it's either because we don't know Christ... Or we're probably not abiding in Christ. We're not obeying Christ. And, 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 and you know as well as I do, nothing robs us of joy more than sin. When you sin, right, you choose to be sad. And, and, and oftentimes it leads to depression. And I'm not saying, don't, don't hear me say, you know, all depression is a result of sin, Um. But I think that's a good place to start in evaluating why am I feeling depressed right now? Uh, typically, uh, in my experience, when I'm feeling depressed, it's because I'm either doing something I know I shouldn't be doing or I'm not doing something I know I should be doing. And I feel depressed about it. I feel sad, right? And, and, and so I have to evaluate my life. And I, 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 I look at the example of, of Cain. Right? Here's Cain and Abel, and, and Cain was mad at, at Abel because God had, had, had uh, you know, uh, received his offering but not Cain's, right, his brother's offering. And so God came to him and he says, why has your countenance fallen? God says, I can see it all over your face, Cain, right? You're depressed, you're sad, you're gloomy. Why is your countenance fallen? And then he says, as if God didn't know, he says, he says will not your countenance be lifted if you do right, if you do right, he says, if you do right, will not your countenance be lifted? He says, I know what you're thinking. I know you're thinking about murdering your brother. That's why you're so sad. If you do the right thing, will not your countenance be lifted? Somebody recently pointed out another example that I've never seen before in, in, in 1 Samuel 13, uh, the story of Amnon and his, um, uh, this is a son of David, and uh, he was um, lusting after his stepsister, um, and, and, and so somebody saw him and said, Hey, Am, now what's, what, what's your uh, why are you so sad? Why are you so depressed? And he confessed. He said, I, I'm having these desires towards my sister, and, and, and which he ultimately acted on. But the point is that he was thinking about doing something sinful with his sister, and that's why he was walking around so depressed because there was sin in his life, right? And so again, what did David say in Psalm 51 after he committed adultery with Bathsheba and he murdered her husband Uriah? What did he pray? Restore to me the joy, right, of your salvation. In other words, sin steals your joy. How do you get it back? You confess your sin, right, you repent of it, and you, you beg God to give your joy back. And so again, is this, is this a fruit of abiding in Christ or is this a means for abiding in Christ? I think it's both, Right? That you're consumed with the joy of Jesus. And your joy is made full. There's a verse in Psalm 16 that says, In your presence is fullness of joy. In your presence, God, is fullness of joy. And I've often thought about that when, when I maybe am sad or depressed or just not you know, I'm just not a happy guy, you know. I'm not happy around my wife or my kids, and I'm thinking, well, what's the deal with that? Well, why, why? well that's to me evidence that I've not been in the presence of the Lord. Because if I've been in the presence of the Lord, it says that in your presence is fullness of joy. So you think if you're presence, spending time in the presence of the Lord where there's fullness of joy, what will you be when you come out of the presence of the Lord? Joyful, right? So if you're not joyful, it, it's, it could be because you're not spending time in the presence of the Lord. And you're trying to handle your problems and your difficulties all by yourself, right? Instead of going to the Lord with those things. And so as we just wrap this up, do you see the balance here in this passage between dependence and obedience? And that pretty much summarizes the Christian life. The Christian life is dependent obedience. It's not just about you buckling down and obeying more, right? There is part of it that's obedience, yes, but there's also dependence, and it's not, just, it's not just, oh, I just need to let go and let God and depend on the Lord and he'll do it all for me. No, there is a level of obedience, right? So there's a balance here, and that's why I like to just to, to summarize the Christian life and, and just simply say, say that, that what it means to abide in Christ is to, pe- is to be dependently obedient to Christ, Be dependently obedient to Christ. That's what it means to abide in Christ. Sinclair Ferguson, a great preacher and and professor, wrote a book called In Christ Alone. And let me just close by reading for you how he describes what it means to abide in Christ. He says, in a nutshell, abiding in Christ means allowing his word to fill our minds, direct our wills, and transform our affections. In other words, our relationship to Christ is intimately connected to what we do with our Bibles. I like that. Then, of course, as Christ's word dwells in us and the Spirit fills us, we will begin to pray in a way that's consistent with the will of God and discover the truth our Lord of, of our Lord's often misapplied promise, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Christ underlines a further principle. He says, abide in my love, and that states, and, which states very clearly th- this, that, that the believer rests his or her life on the love of Christ. This love has been proved to us in the cross of Christ. We must never allow ourselves to drift from daily contemplation of the cross as the irrefutable demonstration of that love or from dependence on the Spirit who sheds it abroad in our hearts. Furthermore, remaining in Christ's love comes to very concrete expression, Simply, or excuse me, simple obedience rendered to him is the fruit and evidence of love for him. Finally, we are called as part of the abiding process to submit to the pruning knife of God and the providences by which he cuts away all disloyalty and sometimes all that is unimportant in order that we might remain in Christ all the more wholeheartedly. I hope that helps you understand this this very critical concept of abiding in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the words of Christ here in John 15. And while on the surface they may appear confusing, um, really at the end of the day they're not very confusing at all. They're rather clear. Uh, What's difficult is actually (laughs) applying them. And, and doing the things that, that we know um, you have provided us uh, to as means to uh, cultivate an intimate relationship with Christ and to abide with Christ and stay connected with Christ. And so would you help us, Father, by your Spirit, completely dependent on your Spirit and the strength which Christ provides, Lord, to be faithful, to have our quiet times and, and to be regularly um, involved in the church. Um, not just popping in and out on Sundays and really not ever connecting, but, Lord, to be really connected with one another here at this church. And as we stay more connected with one another here at this church, we know that, Lord, we'll be more connected with you. And, Lord, help us always to see that uh, all of this is really a means to an end, and that's to bring the gospel, the good news of salvation, to the lost people in our lives our family members, our friends, our coworkers, our classmates, Lord, that we would remember this week that we have the glorious privilege of telling them about Jesus and how they could have the joy of knowing that their sins are forgiven and that they would never have to fear your wrath, but they could only know your love in Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.